0: This week's show is supported by Lend With Care Australia. Lend With Care is a revolutionary way to help people change their own lives, creating big change through small loans. Millions of hardworking people around the world have big ideas to support their families, and all they need is the right opportunity. You can provide that opportunity today with as little as $25. You can help a person get their ideas off the ground and change their family's future. You lend, they grow, they repay, and then you can relend to someone else. Visit LendWithCare.org.au and start lending today. Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly Women's Agenda podcast. In today's episode, we are talking about the part-time promotions cliff that is holding a lot of women back, plus is making a TikTok video the new way to apply for a job? It seems like it is, at least for some employers. And we will also be speaking with Carol Schwartz about how she's trailblazing in funding female founders. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux on the 17th of November 2023. My name is Angela Priestley, joining you from Gadigal land. And as always, I'm joined by my co-founder and Women's Agenda editor, Tala Lambert. Hello, Tala.
1: Hi, Ange. I just want to preface from the outset that I am currently sitting in bushland um that so, is not
0: bushland <laughs> um, but I do like your definition of bushland
1: <laughs> um there are many roaming animals and bush turkeys so please forgive uh the outside noise <laughs> I can't find I can find another room so um yes
0: that's good. We like background. I'm actually in like a podcast studio, so I have no excuses. But, uh, yeah, it's quite nice here. I'm surrounded by records, including one uh, Sir Helen Reddy's record. So, yeah, quite oh, lovely. We
1: know that you love Helen Reddy. So.
0: We all love Helen Reddy, of course. So, first up, we should get to some stories. So, let's start with some wins. What is your win?
1: Okay, so my win of the week, I have just listened to the Matilda's assistant coach this week on a panel, and she was phenomenal, uh, and it was amazing to hear the the backstory of the Matildas' kind of growth and, and pathway to success. But uh, my win is that the Matildas has been named as the word of the year. So the Australian National Dictionary Centre, based at the Australian National University, has picked the word Matilda as the word of the year for 2023. Obviously, it has a very rich history and over the last year in particular we know what the word the matildas conjures up for every australian in this country so that was a really fun kind of story to to hear this week and i think very deserving as the word of the year and what do you reckon
0: yeah i think it was pretty deserving i mean i'm not going to say <laughs> otherwise that would be quite uh controversial so i no,
1: definitely they always do a good job though when they're picking the word of the year of of something that really does capture the moment of that year, like I mean, if someone was to ask me to think about what the word of the year was, I think it would take me a I I don't know that I'd necessarily come up with with that, but as soon as you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. That that's why that would be the word of the year this year.
0: Um, yeah. So I do have a problem with this uh, situation, which you can probably guess what. It will be.
1: No, I don't know. What is it? My
0: issue is that it is the 17th of November, and I believe this story was from the 15th of November, and it is not the end of the year yet. (laughs) There is still five weeks to go. I always have this issue every time this stuff comes out, like this far in advance of the end of the year, because it's like December doesn't exist. (laughs)
1: You think in five weeks' time we're going to come up with a better word? I'm not
0: necessarily saying there's a better word. I'm just like they've missed the opportunity to consider the events of the next few weeks. And I mean, even just since the Matildas, we might say that events, particularly globally, have turned quite significantly. So you just sort of never know.
1: But I would counter that by saying that December does not matter for anyone. And I know we're only, you know, we're only in November, but... There are very few days in November left as well, and then December is uh, is inconsequential to everyone. Let's face it.
0: Okay. Until we get. December to- matters to me. I'm gonna <laughs> put it out there. It matters to me. Anyway, I should get to my win. So my win, I will go with the school strike for climate that is happening today. And we've always reported on this every year. And it's always great to show the different posters and things that come out. I don't have any posters to share today because it's quite early in the day and we haven't yet seen them. So we'll be seeing those in a few hours and we'll share some across Instagram and various other places. But um, as usual, I'm just always taken by just the, the skill of, you know, teenagers and their passion and the words that they use and how they can come together and uh, share their passion and their activism around this cause. And it's good to see that again this year. And again, there's uh, heaps of, you know, young women and girls involved again, as always. And a few things that, um, you know, we've noted, um, and I shared, tried to sort of sum up a couple of quick things today in this. Is that I mean the school strike is happening at the same time that a landmark case is being heard in Melbourne today and that's being brought about against the Australian government by Torres Strait elders for Australia failing to basically prevent climate change and so two of those elders will speak at the strike today and that they've come together and just said you know the more voices we have the stronger our fight will be. I also saw that uh, Gregory Andrews, he's doing the hunger strike outside Parliament House in Canberra today. A lot of people are going to meet him, including some of the independents I've seen, which has been nice to see. I don't like that he's doing a hunger strike. I I think it's quite tragic that it has come to that. He is the former ambassador. For threatened and the former threatened species commissioner of Australia. So he has had some really influential and powerful positions in the past. And he's used that point to highlight how, like, you know, even when I was trying to get heard from those positions, we still weren't being able to move fast enough on this. So this is sort of what I see as the next step for my kids and for my country. And the reason I brought him up was that he shared on social media being visited by um, a woman called Catherine, who is 75 and she's actually facing criminal conviction for a peaceful climate protest that she participated in to disrupt um, a fossil fuel conference in recent years. So again I just sort of had this moment of sensing just the age differences in people who are out there protesting for climate action at the moment, um, mm. how that's all sort of converging today and the different backgrounds that people are coming from and the different means that they're using to basically get heard on this.
1: I think that's an absolute win and I also think that we should really be highlighting the fact that it is a win that students and young people want to get out and be activists on this issue because we need that. And I know governments in past times and, and actually in present times as well are a little bit kind of critical of the fact that young people are getting involved in this. I know the Labor Party have stopped their stance slightly. Jason Clare came out and said, while we like to see students engaging in these issues and being passionate about these issues, we want them to stay in school during these hours. But my thing, you know, as a mum and as uh, as someone who gives a shit about climate change, who has quite a lot of convictions and and wants to see a progressive Australia, I think, you know, it's so important that we have young people out there really getting out in the world and showing you know, what they they care about and, and rallying for change. And I think that that is absolutely something we should be celebrating. It is something we should be encouraging. Like as my kids get older, I will absolutely be doing that. So I would love to see politicians change their tune a little bit on that one as well. To the next story this week... And we want to look at a report from the Workplace Gender Equality Agency. So something emerged from the report that Wajia CEO Mary Waldridge has called the promotion cliff, as Angie alluded to in the introduction, for part-time workers and particularly for women. And as the agency's research found, just 7% of managers work part-time in Australia. And it's clear that there is a significant gendered promotion gap, shock, horror, Uh, since 30% of women work full-time while just 11% of men work full-time. And you reported on this research this week. Do you think the part-time promotion cliff is a real barrier for women?
0: Yes, I do think it is a real barrier for women. I had no idea that only 7% of managers across the almost 5 million people that are covered in that Widgia data, and the Widgia data covers employers with 100 or more team members, so, I guess, you know, bigger employers. But I had no idea that just 7% of managers are uh, working part time. Like, I, I, I found that just gobsmacking. I had no idea. It's, it's crazy. And then to think about that massive gender difference in men and women working part time and the fact that women overwhelmingly do work part time. I mean, of course, it is holding women back. And I, you know, not everyone who works part time will want leadership positions or want to management positions. And, but, you know, not everyone who works full-time wants that either. And so, you know, I I respect that it's not for everyone, but then at the same time, we need to be ensuring that roles are designed so that people can do management in part-time ways or in more flexible ways, or maybe there are job shares or whatever it is. Surely we need to be redesigning positions to make sure that they can be done in different ways. And then you also have the, um, added issue of like like job shares as well I thought that job shares were on the rise apparently they're not I I mean that seems like a really great way to get around uh this if people do want to work two or three days a week um if they have a job share they might be able to cross over on one day and then you get you know two brains for for yeah I was just gonna
1: say surely that is a no-brainer right like that you want that diversity in a role of perspective and and experience and like how is that not taking off in a bigger way like what is the what is the detraction there for companies to like actually support pathways into that like I just that is really baffling to me
2: yeah Um,
0: so they didn't have I don't think they have stats on that specifically I guess I I mean I'm I'm not seeing many of them and we were a few years back seeing them I guess we sort of job share in a way like and it's not in a particularly structured or formal way, but then there's two of us. And so there's two of us across different parts of the business and it's really beneficial. And there's so much value in that, but we are still sort of tied to this old school idea of what leadership should look like and how it should be a hierarchy and how it should be very individualist and how it should be very present and full-time constantly, which doesn't meet The realities of our lives elsewhere, and the fact that, you know, not many uh, people do have somebody at home anymore who's able to sort of take care of everything else that goes on there. So we need to really think about that if we actually want any hope of trying to change the the numbers for leadership in Australia and also trying to address women's economic opportunities and earning uh, capacities later on because the, the fact is I sort of sense also that yeah, it, it might be actually perpetuating people to stay in part-time roles as well because... They are missing out on those promotion opportunities while they're working part-time, and then it might just sort of become this endless cycle that you, you keep doing the part-time work when maybe later on you're looking for more hours or something. So that can be problematic. And the fact also that there's all this talk about the four-day school week as well, where there's trials running in Queensland. There's a couple of schools elsewhere in the country who are looking at this idea of the four-day school week. And it already we have school hours that don't match to uh, work hours. Uh, it's already hard enough trying to make that work. And now the idea of then having one less school day and, you know, some of the advocates for this are talking about the fact that, well, maybe it could be a learning day for kids that they learn from home. And especially for older kids, that might be possible, but just like, you know, that, that's, somebody's going to be taking on that load. <laughs> And I think it's going to be mothers taking on more load there. And whether you physically have to be like supervising them, you, you know, you probably need to at least be carrying some kind of mental load regarding that situation. So, uh, I mean, from employment to startups and founders and female founders particularly, and the tiny amount of funding that goes to female led startups, I think that is the perfect segue to Tyler, the interview that you did with Carol Schwartz this week. So Tyler sat down with Carol Schwartz, who is an Australian philanthropist who is passionate about empowering women in business, gender equality and social justice. So in this conversation, they speak about the um, extremely limited VC funding that is going to female entrepreneurs and female founded businesses and what can be done about it. So take a listen.
1: So, Carol, it's lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for making time today.
2: Absolutely, and so lovely to be here and to meet you.
1: So from the outside, it seems like your philanthropic efforts um, often have a gender equality or social justice kind of lens
2: top of mind.
1: Is that, is that fair to say? And, and if so, why do you choose to go about business in, in that way?
2: Um, Well, Tala, that absolutely is fair to say. I mean, gender equality has been absolutely crucial to me probably since my 30s when I realised that gender equality did not exist, which I guess happened, you know, when I started attending meetings and realising that I was the only woman in the room, when I started going to functions and you know to lunches and dinners and realising that there weren't many women around the table, I actually asked myself, how is this possible? I had been to university, studied law with a lot of really bright women through my 20s when I worked uh, for a very short period of time as a lawyer and then opened my own entrepreneurial business. I had a lot to do with a lot of women who seemed to be on a great career trajectory. But when we got into our 30s, I noticed that there weren't that many women around. And I think that as a society, we are really missing out by not having women sharing power and decision making with men. And I guess that sort of dovetails into social justice as well. Um, How can we deal with the social injustices that we face all the time if women are not involved in um, making the decisions around the solutions that we need for us to function um, at the optimum level as a society. So social justice and gender equality, absolutely on the top of my list.
1: Mm. Given you've been in in business um, for, for such a long time, is it grating to see that that statistic of 2% of female-founded companies in the US and, and even less so in Australia are securing VC funding annually? Would you have expected more to have kind of shifted during that period?
2: Absolutely, Atala. Well, you as a terrific, successful entrepreneur yourself would know how difficult it is for women to secure funding. And um, I've been investing in women entrepreneurs having been an entrepreneur myself probably all my life and, um, you know, if not if not financially, then also as a mentor and with whatever help I could give them. And, um, you know, I got to a point three or four years ago where I felt that um, supporting women who actually made the decisions around capital allocation because there is not enough capital allocated to women. And what the statistics will show you is that when you have women who are actually in charge of those capital allocation or investing decisions, more women are invested in. And um, that's why my, uh, I guess, my um, strategy somewhat pivoted into investing in women who actually are investors themselves.
1: Carol, do you see any signs in the VC world that the tide is starting to turn um, and based on the projects that you're involved in now?
2: Oh, absolutely, which is, which is actually really encouraging and really positive. So as, as we were talking about in the previous question around looking for women who are setting up VC funds, um, I actually found two fabulous women Kate Val and Marissa Warren, who set up Aliavia, They're two Australian women who are based on the West Coast of the US, and they're investing in women entrepreneurs in both Australia and the US, which is terrific, particularly for the Australian women who potentially see the US as, as their next growth market. And there's also Rachel Newman from Flying Fox. There's two fabulous entrepreneurs, Samar and Chelsea, from um, Scale Investor Network who who are converting, if you like, a a syndicate network, which was the Scale Investor Network, um, into a fund. They're looking to raise a fund. So I think that there are a lot more women who actually see the opportunity to become investors and uh, VC investors and I think that what we will find as a consequence of that is that more women entrepreneurs are invested in. Because it's so interesting, Tala, you know, you speak to women entrepreneurs, even like Kate Morris, who will tell you that when they pitch their concept to men, and of course Kate was, her concept was cosmetics online, they don't necessarily relate to the concepts in the same way as as, as a woman investor would and that's and that's of course why we need diversity on investment committees.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: I, I
1: wrote a piece recently about the experience of, of being dismissed by an older male acquaintance, family, friend that I know, and we're in the context of conversation, my brother was there, my brother runs a business and, and he was very engaged in what my brother did. Then when he asked, he turned to me and he asked me what I was doing. And I said, look, I, I co-run a, a media company and our, our core site is called Women's Agenda. And he, he mocked the name of, of Women's Agenda. But I feel like this is a really common experience for women in business where they are in all kinds of environments where they are dismissed and sidelined. And I wrote about that, that tendency, the cultural tendency to view women's work, women's businesses as side hustles. What What would you say about that? And how do we, how do we curb that, I guess? How do we
2: stop that from happening? Well, Tala, that's such an interesting story. And I think it's it's not unique, unfortunately. And I think that part of that has to do with the fact that women running businesses is not, is not completely normalized in our society, which is a real shame, because we have a lot of fabulous women entrepreneurs. And unfortunately, I think it's also particularly young women, because I think that the unconscious bias that happens around that is, oh, well, you look very young to be running a business like that and uh, how come you're not married at home with, with looking after children? And I really do believe that that's the unconscious thinking that's going on there because that's the way particularly a particular generation of, um, of people think. And that's the way they're being socialised, right? And obviously, the way um, that women as successful entrepreneurs and business owners is going to be, and corporate, senior corporate uh, women, it's going to be um, become normalised, is by having more and more women given the opportunity to pursue those, you know, their various options, right? Whether it be as an entrepreneur whether it be as a, as a corporate leader, whether it be as a, a leader of a professional services firm like lawyers and um, accountants um, and even in politics, even in politics and academia, you know, there are mindsets around what women at certain stages of their lives should be doing. And uh, and unfortunately, breaking down those social norms is very, very difficult.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we know there are so many kind of systemic barriers like that at play do you Do you think there's an issue as well of the social conditioning of women to particularly shrink themselves in business uh, and maybe not approach ventures that they're running with that that scalability in mind?
2: yeah absolutely i mean we're all we're all subject to the same um, pressures of of unconscious bias through the way our society is formed and through, you know, the expectations that run through each one of us throughout our lives as to what the expectations are and what we should be doing, you know. And it it even goes back to, you know, watching little girls in kindergarten, you know, being told that certain behaviours are acceptable and certain behaviours aren't, you know. And it's absolutely fascinating but it still happens and it shows how those social norms and the socialisation behind it are just so entrenched. Um, and when we talk about change, this is why change is so hard. And, you know, I've got a funny story about change because when I was in my 30s, I remember being on a panel talking about gender equality and, you know, I was really outraged that there were not more women being given more opportunities and the all the issues that we were facing professionally. Um, and I remember there was an older woman on the panel who actually outraged me because she said, everything you say is right, but we've got to be patient. It's just going to take time. <laughs> and, you know, 30 years later, I'm now that older woman who's absolutely observed that it does take time, that no matter how frustrating that is. This is taking a very, very long time. And I guess it's that's why my peers and I see ourselves as not having achieved as much for your generation of women as we would have liked to have achieved. And so we, I think, are really putting ourselves out there to make sure that we can create at this stage of our lives as much change for future generations of women as we possibly can.
1: I think that's a very interesting thing for you to say because I think that your generation of women have done immense things for my generation. Um, I'm actually at a conference right now with uh, Wendy McCarthy and Catherine Fox and, you know, they're just... Such trailblazers as are you in so many aspects that have really kind of led us to a far better point in history than we would have been. So,
2: very generous of you to say that. But I think that you know, and, and Wendy is brilliant. Um, you know, I again met Wendy very early on in my career, and she's been a fantastic mentor and role model for me and for you know, I think my whole generation of women and she's had terrible frustrations along the way you know but she's really she's really opened up the world for a lot of us she's fabulous
1: just on that how how important are mentors and sponsors in the business world and and building out that that network of connections and meaningful connections how how do you go about that
2: yeah well i think it's hugely important but it's funny you know when you talk about networks because and oh she's a good networker he's a good networker I think for me I've never liked the word network or networking I love people I'm really curious about people I love learning about people learning about their lives what motivates them and I think that that's the way you successfully create and I'm not going to call it networks but relationships with people is that you take a genuine interest in what they're doing and how they're doing it, and through that, you know, relationships form which are are, are really meaningful. And so, you know, I, you know, I meet fabulous young women all the time, you know, and through my uh, program Pathways to Politics for Women, through my business um, activities, and um, you know, and and I love the opportunity to matchmake. So if I see an organisation that needs a particular skill set, I will very often refer a young woman that I've met or refer the organisation to uh, an institution that I know about because to create those connections is really fantastic and so rewarding and gratifying. So I think that, you know, be curious um, really engage with people that you meet. Don't be looking over your shoulder for someone better to talk to, because the person that you're talking to is is probably the most interesting, and and it'll probably be one of the most interesting conversations that you have if you're asking the right questions and probing.
1: I love that. I love that advice. Just one last question. Um, I am very conscious of your time, which I've, I've said before, but just on advice for female founders is there anything that you have really learned along the way that has surprised you or that you wouldn't necessarily pick up from you know the the entrepreneurial handbook
2: I think I think that um what I love about female founders is that and and I know this is a generalization but they're incredibly authentic and um usually incredibly committed to the solution that their business is offering. They're very, very solution-oriented. They've seen a problem and they're very excitedly creating a solution to address that problem. And I think that when um, women pitch, they need to be their authentic selves and they need to... Focus on the things that are important and significant that are going to make their businesses successful. And you very mm-hmm. often find, and, and people say this all all the time to me, that that often when men are pitching their businesses, they really they show the hockey stick uh, approach, um, whereas women do not do that. They they actually they are much more. Um, if you like, um, analytical about the way their businesses are going to be successful. I know that's a a terrible generalisation, but um, I I would suggest that from my experience it it tends to be true. Women are not as aggressive in the way they pitch their businesses. Now, you know what? That might be why they don't appeal to um, male investors in the same way that male entrepreneurs do, because maybe that is um, maybe that's mistaken for not being ambitious enough. But I don't think it is. I think that um, women are fantastic entrepreneurs. They just need to um, be given be given the opportunity to pitch their businesses to a panel of investors that understand how to interrogate the opportunity. Mm.
1: Maybe we need to flip the script a bit because we're we're often telling women to act like men exactly. in this world. But maybe we need to be telling men to act a bit more like women. Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> um, Carol Schwartz, thank you so much for for joining me again. It was such a pleasure talking to you.
2: It's great to speak to you, Tal, and finally meet you.
1: Oh, it was such a pleasure talking with Carol this week, and I think the work that she's doing is so encouraging as a female founder, Ange. And I'm sure you feel the same. But just to see that there is some traction there, there's some optimism. There's obviously a lot of work to be done, but you know the the fact that women like Carol are stepping in and and really funding the next frontier of of female-founded businesses is just uh, so great to see. So thank you to Carol again for joining the podcast this week. On to our final story, and I'm sure most of our listeners have written a CV before. seems pretty obvious. Um, But in fact, before applying for a job, most people will give you similar advice that the key is a good, well-written resume. It does look like that tradition is changing somewhat, though. So this week, the Australian Financial Review reported the Hilton Hotel Australia is asking for applicants to create and post a 30 to 60 second TikTok video. They ask candidates to use the hashtag HireMeHilton and tag the account at HireMeHiltonAU. Although hiring on social media platforms is certainly nothing new, particularly with the popularity of LinkedIn, I don't know if we've seen anything like TikTok applications before, but it is very likely the way of the future. And what do you reckon? Would you receive a job application in the form of a TikTok video?
0: Um, I like it. Yes, I would. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't want to say it has to be the only way that it could be sent. I find, I mean, it's, I find it a bit problematic that you have to share your job applicant, like, uh, like sort of it to an open forum. I mean, I'm guessing once you put the hashtags in and you tag the account and like, maybe that's, you know, then you're sort of sharing it quite widely. Maybe that's what they want. I'm guessing they do want a candidate who's happy to do that and um, has all the confidence and everything to be able to do that. I would say it, would most likely limit the range of candidates that you will receive because they'll very much be a a certain style, I guess, and and have that upfront confidence. And we know that not having that upfront confidence doesn't mean that you can't be incredibly awesome in the job. So that would be an issue. Um, I mean, there's a few things. I do think like the cover letter thing and the, you know, really stare at like the standard CV, like it just... It's it's not really what we ever want. Even the CV, when I think about when we've had people apply for jobs with us, I always go to the cover letter first and I'll look at how it's written and what is said in that and more so than I'll ever go to the CV and more so than I'll ever look for any kind of ticker box in terms of what's been studied or amount of experience or anything like that. I'll start with the cover letter. And then other things can be really helpful, I think, in job applications that, um, you know, doesn't necessarily have to go to the extreme of it being a video but even just you know looking at socials and seeing that socials are open especially for roles like what we do I'm not saying that's for everyone but just seeing where people what people are interested in what they're posting about even just the very fact of people being active on social platforms is valuable again to some roles not to all roles so yeah
1: for anyone that's uh, applying to Women's Agenda, Angela Priestley does do her background research.
0: Oh yeah, um, I'll be going through. <laughs> but I will say... So I do, but I, I get be- disappointed if I don't see stuff like that. That's It's not so much, I'm not going to be like, it's not that I'm looking for the things that have been said that you know shouldn't have said, it's more that I'm just looking for activity. You but know, I think interest, what
1: you're looking you know. for as well is personality and interests. And I do think that that can be captured in a, a more compelling form through mm. video I completely take your point about confidence and the fact that it can be prohibitive to to certain groups and I think that we may if this is going to be a way of the future we need to look at at the parameters in which we kind of view it and that organizations aren't just taking that lens of like whoever comes in as the most bubbly or the most charismatic mm. um, in a traditional sense but I think viewing something in that form and getting a real sense of the person is really quite invaluable. And I think as an employer, I'm looking at it and I'm going, well, actually, that would give me a better sense of what you probably care about, what you are like, what your your general kind of essence as a person is. It's obviously not going to give you everything, but I think it will give you more than the
0: traditional CV. Mm. So I'm, I'm pro it. As someone who is not on TikTok though. Maybe- <laughs> but no, I, I, I like one, like in some places they do like blind recruiting where they don't see the names or the gender or anything associated with the applicant. So surely this is like the absolute extreme opposite of that in a way. But I also
1: think like, and I get that, I get you're trying to, you know, you're you're trying to make sure that you're not biased in that process and I do understand that. But I also think like, you know, employers at the moment are biased anyway. They're looking at the name of a culturally diverse person and going, oh, look, I'm not going to interview them because their name is a bit funny. Like we know that that's happening already. So maybe actually showing a video of someone is actually going to reverse that in a sense because you know that that discrimination if, if you can get a real kind of sense of a, a person through video form um, maybe it would counter it I'm not sure but like we know that that bias is is there regardless um, yeah. I don't think it hurts to try things differently
0: my only other what if in these scenarios, is what if the Hilton, and I'm not saying that the Hilton is doing this, but what if it is sort of a means to try and screen uh, for attractive or, you know, stereotypically attractive people or something And because it's for front-facing roles and they want a certain look for their, um, as as clients enter the building.
1: I do think that that is the way up. But my my only kind of, my, my counter is just that we already know that these biases exist in our our current form, and yes, we want to try and stamp them out, and we need employers to be really conscious of that, but but it's already happening as as it is. So I'm not saying that it should exist as the only form of of employers being able to to learn about prospective applicants, but I think it, it doesn't necessarily hurt to have it in the mix. But time will tell as well. I could really have egg on my face on this one in the couple of years time so we'll <laughs> when see.
0: like in 30 years time all the boards of various places are made up of what yeah. TikTok oh, God, stars yeah. or the equivalent <laughs> of then, and it's like wow everyone's super bubbly and this we're not getting anywhere because yeah,
1: yeah. That's true. I guess anyway. I just like I have a I think I'm optimistic that people like will see true character and and um, value that true character and value the, div- the diversity that they're seeing through that as well but you know I mean it is it is easy to be jaded when we see uh, so little progress in in spaces too.
0: I'm going to go and look for some of those videos and see how it's going. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get a sense of... yeah. Uh, uh, But we should wrap up. So any final thoughts for the week as you download TikTok?
1: (laughs) I guess my my final thought for the week would be that I need to go and check out these uh, video CVs and see if I've just vouched for something that is completely problematic so <laughs> that's what I will be doing after this episode I will be <laughs> fiercely peddling to make sure that I haven't <laughs> you know, completely yeah i um, opened myself up for some severe trolling but we'll see <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes um so I have a final thought so last night I I was at a a, a pub in Sydney and for an event and there was a few other journalists there and, you know, it was a small casual sort of event in the lead up to Christmas and I went to the bathroom and I walked out of the bathroom and I walked down a different hallway to the one that I came in and I found myself in a room full of people, well, actually a room full of young men and my first thought was, oh, this looks like some kind of like young liberal function as a joke that I said to myself. And then I saw a sign and it was a young liberal's function. I can say there were not many women in that room.
1: Well, that's it for us this week. Thank you for listening to The Crux, Women's Agenda's weekly podcast. And a reminder, you can subscribe to our Lunchtime Daily Newsletter and check out all of the stories that we have spoken about in today's episode on site. Thank you for listening.